I was just thinking, um, I was thinking about waiting until my wife came back from dropping the kids off in creche, but we'd probably have to wait a while, because I, I don't know if you heard, uh, Stella thinks it's lunchtime, my daughter thinks it's lunchtime, and uh, Karis, my wife, took the pasta away from her and said, should we go down to creche? And she cried. So that, that girl wants her lunch, um, so I think they'll probably be there, there a while. So um, thank you for, for having me to speak this morning uh, in Clive's absence. He's asked me really to... Um, to, to share a, a message that he brought to us at Cell uh, 10 days ago or so. Um, and he, he was reading this verse and he felt uh, arrested by it in a particular way. And, so he, and we talked about it at Cell and then I shared some more on it at the prayer meeting. And he, you know when Clive says to you, oh, thanks, you really shared a great message there. That was great. You know dot, dot, dot is coming could you share that on a Sunday sometime? So he nobbled me, so I was thinking, ah, oh, thanks, I really helped him there, and then he asked me to, to, to speak. So um, the, the, our title this morning is Recovering Your Vision, uh, and I hope that we'll have uh, the scripture up for us that Clive uh, felt spoken to on this. So the, the scripture is Jesus launching into public ministry at the start of Luke's gospel, and Luke chapter 4 uh, the, he reads out in front of the synagogue, in front of the, you know, the, the religious congregation of the day, this, this verse from the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And that last part of, the, of that text there, recovery of sight for the blind, really is our theme this morning, recovering our vision, recovering my vision, recovering your vision, every one of us recovering our vision in God for the future and purpose that he has for us. And if, you know, I suppose that you could look at this a couple of ways. One, it might be recovering your vision because I had a vision before and I've lost that vision. Or it might be that we can look at this and say, I need to recover the vision that I never had. You know, I need to, to find God's vision for my life right now. What is that vision? And you know, this is uh, this scripture is something of a mission statement for Jesus' life. You know, what was the life of Jesus like? It was, it was all the things in that, in that text. And you know, there's really strongly a physical aspect of that, right? So recovery of sight for the blind. There's uh, uh, at least three or four miracles that I can think of where Jesus literally physically healed someone who was blind. You know, there was a, a man born blind in John's Gospel. That's a really significant episode in the life of Jesus. That was someone who'd never seen in his life. It was a, a totally creative miracle. You know, the power of God really really powerful in, in, in that example because that was someone who'd never seen it. It was just creation from nothing, sight. That's a really you know, literal thing in Jesus' ministry. But as well, I think there's this um, picture or metaphorical aspect of it for us this morning of, of catching a vision of, of the way things might be or the direction that God has for us. A picture of the importance of vision. Um, I suppose vision in all walks of life. You know, so many companies and organizations and charities today recognize the importance of vision. Uh, I, I remember the first time I came across that really was the, the vision statement of Apple computers. This was maybe 15, 20 years ago. And my dad was talking about it. My dad's a businessman and we were talking about vision statements. And he said, Apple computers want to make computing fun. That's it. That was, that was their vision at the time, 20 years ago. We want to make computers fun. And uh, so that was 20 years ago. The, uh, the first time I came across an iPod, I think, was like 13 years ago. So this was seven years before really anyone had caught hold of iPods, but they had a vision. We want to make computers fun. And if you kind of look around the, the 
influence that Apple is having on the culture and, uh, and you know, our experience of technology and so on, he says as he's holding his iPhone. Oh, sorry about that. Um, like they have made computing fun. You know, from the dry, kind of gray business machines that everyone had with spreadsheets and numbers and da-da-da-da-da to, you know, Apple bouncing in with lively, interesting designs of products and so on. They make computers fun. So vision is really, really important. And one of the reasons for that, there's kind of two thoughts I have around that is, um, one, what you see is what you want. And at the same time, what you see is what you aim for. Okay, so hold those two thoughts. So what you see is what you want. So and work with me on, on this, okay? I want you to imagine, uh, I, I, I do do the shopping from time to time in my family. I, Karis did the last shop, I did the one before that, but we try and take it in turns. I want you to imagine the scene. I'm in the supermarket and I've got my list because, I, okay, I do the shopping, but Karis gives me a list, okay, just to kind of, you know, and you get what's on the list. And if you get something that's not off the list, that is not so I have my list, and I go around the shop, and I push my trolley, and I get all the bits I need. And you know, if, if you're like me, I tick things off my list. I like that. It's a oh, massive sense of satisfaction. So, you know, beans. Yes. You feel success when you tick something off the list, right? So you're like, yes. I've hunted. I've gathered. I've got the beans. Okay, so you, you go to the next thing. And you, you know, so you, I, I work my way around the supermarket, and I get all this stuff. And uh, I've ticked everything off the list. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about life. And I go to the checkout. And until that point, well, I actually put it like this. So I go to the checkout and I see minstrels. I see the minstrels. Now, until that point, in all of my shopping, in my whole day, I did not want minstrels. But actually, I don't know if that's entirely true because I often want minstrels. But in the supermarket, until that point, I had not wanted minstrels. But then I see the minstrels. And I want the minstrels. <laughs> now, I know I'm not alone in this. The, you know, the people who design supermarkets, they're not stupid. They know this very basic human principle. What you see is what you want. So they put them there, don't they? And they put, um, you, you know, they when I used to go with my mum, actually, it's still true, uh, they, they have the, the kids' suites at the checkout as well. And they, they don't put them at adult eye level, you know, because they're not stupid. They put them at children eye level. So, you know, so you've just about made it around the supermarket with your kid. This is me pushing my trolley, by the way. That's what this is, the, the mime. You made it around, and everyone's sort of okay, and then the kids see the sweets, and they want the sweets. People, the, the guys who run supermarkets, they're not thick. They know this fundamental human principle. What you see is what you want. And the other side of all that is that what you see is what you aim for. So imagine, I'm in the supermarket, I've seen the minstrels, my, brain, my, my eyes talk to my brain, I want the minstrels, and now what do I do? I aim for the minstrels. May God have mercy on anyone who comes between me and the minstrels at that point in time. <laughs> what you see is what you aim for, right? Um, my my sister-in-law, um, she's a very smart lady, she uh, does something called human factors, I don't know if you've ever heard of that, she's got a a master's, in, a master's degree in human factors. And the way she explains it to us every time is um, it, it's making everyday objects easy to use. So you're, we, we, from time to time, we're confronted where you go up to a, a door and uh, there's a, a handle on the door but a sign above the handle saying push. Now, what do I do with that? Because there's two conflicting messages there, right? So do, do I pull the handle because there's a handle? The handles need to be pulled. 
or do I push because there's a sign saying push? And so there's, I, I bet you there's a door like that in this building. I was thinking about this, but this building's full of all that kind of thing, okay? So have a look for it later. But the, the human factors basically means the study and science of understanding that people will be confused by that. I will be confused by that. I will hesitate at the door and go, am I pushing or pulling? I just don't know. And, you know, I almost guarantee you that it, it, it's 50-50, right? You might push or pull, it's 50-50, but I guarantee that I'll get the wrong one first because that's just how these things go, isn't it? So, I, you know, so that's, that's her science, and she spent like, lots of time studying this. And one of the things she said is that uh, they've done all these studies on people driving, driving habits of human beings. And if you are ever in a situation where you have to do an emergency stop, then you should look... <laughs> it's strange, but you should look away from whatever it is that made you stop. And so uh, you're driving along and a cat runs out into the road or something, and you have to do an emergency stop Look away from the cat. Because otherwise, human beings, we look at the cat, and they've done all these studies that people have steered <laughs> towards the cat because they're looking at it. Honestly, like, she knows her stuff on this. I, I don't know how it works, right? But the, ah, stop, something's running out. But then you look at it, and you kind of, you know, your car drifts this way, and no hats were harmed in the making of this sermon. Um, no cats, rather. So it, what you see... What you're looking at is what you aim for. <clears throat> just checking my phone's on silent as well. Oh, dear. That, that's, that's, that's just a really important fundamental thing that we need to um, like get hold of in ourselves and watch out for in ourselves. Um, when I, I drive to my office where I work is in Gosforth. And I drive there down this really gorgeous street beautiful, posh, Gosforth houses, and I see the houses, and I've had to have this tussle inside myself to be careful about how much I look at those houses, because otherwise something will go off in me where I will want that kind of house in my life. I'll say, oh, what I want in life, what I aim for in life, is that house that I look at. Now, some of you guys are like, houses, what's he on about? Because that doesn't you know, float everybody's boat, but I've got this thing about houses. So I have to, I've had to settle the issue in myself. I'm going to drive that way to work. I'm not going to look at those houses because it'll do something wrong for me. It'll put me off in a wrong direction. It's not wrong to want a house. It's not wrong to want somewhere to live. But it is wrong to want it in a way where you prize it and value it above the other good things of God for your life. Some people, it's gadgets. You know, they, um, you could spend hours looking on on your computer, all the different gadgets you could get, and you could look at the latest smartphone and iPhone and Nexus phone and Google Android phone, and you can go, oh, I'm looking at these, and I want one of these, and this is what I'm aiming for. And that's what people kind of construct and prioritize. And um, people have different things, you know, or other people's lifestyles. You might look at the lifestyles of people around you, or the lives, or the, um, you know, the finances of people around you, and say, oh, if I wasn't a Christian, I could live like this, because I'm looking at this, and I can see this life over here, and actually part of me wants something of that life over there. Part of me wants to aim for what's going on over there because I'm looking at what's going on in the lives of people over there. Maybe that's just me. But I'm sure there's something in all of us where we can look at the wrong stuff and it will cause us to want the wrong stuff and it will cause us to aim for the wrong stuff. So there's a challenge in this. Jesus came to bring recovery of sight to the blind and recover our vision. And so one of the first challenges is just to make sure that we are looking at the right place and looking at the right vision. 
But actually, I believe that God also wants to lift our vision this morning to recover our vision. There's two very simple but really powerful verses that I want to look at and, and share this morning. But I, I, they are simple, but they're so powerful that if we can get hold of these, they will transform what we're looking at in life and where we're looking in life. And the kind of two themes of them are a person to follow and a pattern to follow. Both of these uh, passages, these scriptures, are really easy to remember because you just need to remember to ask yourself, what time is it? So look at the person next to you and say, what time is it? Hopefully we'll get the next slide up and you'll be able to see it's 10.38. And say to the person next to you, it's 10.38. So the, the time today is 10.38 from the clock face of Acts. Chapter 10, verse 38. Okay? Just a bit of fun. But one way that you might remember this is that that's where it is in the Bible. Okay? So um, some of you guys have heard of uh, a pastor in the States called Bill Johnson. And he says sometimes... He, when he looks at a clock and he sees that it's 10.38, he just takes a moment and thanks God. And uh, he says, once you start getting into that habit, it's just remarkable how often you find yourself looking at the clock at 10.38. So it's just like one of these funny coincidences that goes off in his life. And he says, and he, he sort of has this discipline in his life where he's got this thing in his life where he sees the clock and he goes, oh, thank God for Acts chapter 10, verse 38, which says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And you know, this is a great summary of the person that we're following. This is a great summary of who Jesus is and what he was about in life when he walked the earth. And uh, I was thinking about this. We, you know, we love a good superhero movie, right? I was, uh, I was reading this week that we, you know, the great British public, we love a superhero so much so that one of the studios is going to do a movie of Batman versus Superman next year sometime. Batman versus Superman. As a, and Lego obviously thought of it first. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we love a good superhero movie. We love a hero story. Uh, if people, if we stopped buying the movies, guarantee you the studios would stop making the movies. But, <laughs> but far from it, we are buying the movies you know, the, I, I'm a bit of a geek, so I looked this up. So the uh, top-grossing film of last year was the Avengers movie. It's a hero movie. And the top-grossing film so far this year is Iron Man 3. Yes, good guess over there, Doug. Thank you for that. Um, now, uh, the, I'm not an expert on these things, but I, I can imagine if anything were to knock Iron Man 3 off the top spot, it would be the Wolverine, right, which is coming out soon. And I'm as excited about that as I know the rest of you are. Um, but, uh, but Wolverine, again, I obviously had a bit of downtime looking at some of the movie press this week. Um, that's, no, let me get this straight, I think that is the sixth movie in the X-Men series. The first one came out in the year 2000, 13 years ago. So for 13 years, Hugh Jackman has been putting on the big fake sideburns and, uh, and doing this kind of thing every so often where he, you know. Um, for, for 13 years, we've been going, yeah, I can't wait till the next hero movie with that guy in it. We love a good hero movie, right? And yet, when you read this scripture, this is a great hero movie, a great hero scene set, okay? So, and first of all, I think you've got Jesus the underdog. Jesus the underdog. He's from Nazareth. He, the Bible says he's Jesus of, of Nazareth. And some of you guys will, will know the first time he met one of his um, disciples, uh, Nathaniel, in the book of uh, John, the first thing this guy said was, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? 
it was like the, you know, the, the kind of most downtrodden, poverty-stricken, furthest out from the center of the, everything that was good in the world, and Nazareth was far away from it. So he's the underdog, right? We read Nazareth, and we're like, we have one set of expectations. But back in the day, you'd say, Jesus of Nazareth, your audience have switched off. Because they're like, Nazareth? What? You know. But actually, Jesus of Nazareth, who God anointed with power and the Holy Spirit. And uh, God's chosen him for a mission. You know, you've got that sense of, it's like the Blues Brothers all over again. He's on a mission from God. And, uh, and you've got the classic struggle of, of good versus evil. Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good and healing all those oppressed of the devil. It's kind of a pantomime thing. Jesus good, the devil bad. The, our, our kids are just at that age where um, they're kind of getting the hang of goodies and baddies in cartoons, yeah? Uh, that, uh, until, until maybe the last month or so. The cartoons they watched were the kind of, um, you know, it's a group of friends, and they all go around together, and they go to a fun fair, and nothing really happens. Like, that was the kind of cartoons that they enjoyed, and, uh, well, you know, they're only small. Uh, but they're just starting to get into cartoons with goodies and baddies. And uh, we, I was reading a book with Stella uh, yesterday, and I, we've, um, it's Jafar from Aladdin the baddie in, in Aladdin the movie, right? And I said, oh, and he looks a bit cross, and she said, I'm trying to do my Stella voice, Yes, because he's a baddie. Uh, I was like, how do you know about baddies? She's so cute. Uh, but they're just about getting the hang of it. And, you know, so we've got our superhero movie set up in this scripture. You've got the baddie. And you don't get badder than the devil. But what you do have is the good guy, Jesus, who's on our side, the hero who goes about doing good. That is a vision of a person to follow. That is a vision of someone worth following. And I, I think... Sometimes we can have this challenge in life where we don't follow that vision so clearly because we haven't read exactly what it says here. I, I think sometimes we can have this case of, um, I've, I've heard it called spiritual dyslexia, where you read one thing but your brain interprets it as something else. And it's like you've read this verse that says Jesus went about doing good and, and your brain crosses it out and says Jesus went around telling people to be good. Well, you know, that's a really interesting challenge for us. He did, I'm not going to hide away from the fact that he did give us very clear guidance on how to live. But the scripture says, Jesus went around doing good first. And if, as you read the Gospels, it's just really remarkable. You can see that the first thing that he would do in people's lives and situations was do good for them. He was good news. He wasn't just there to say, you should be more like this. One of the reasons this caught my attention this week is um, we're reading the kids' story Bible with them, and uh, it writes about Jesus, and it says Jesus was whatever he was, and he told the people to be good and obey God. And I was like, oh. I won't tell you which one it is, but come and ask me later if you want to know which. There's there's some good stuff in there. They've done some all right stuff with it. But I just saw that. I was a bit like, oh. Uh, that, that's not how I want my kids to grow up with a vision of Jesus. That he's going to turn up to them and say, be good. You know, that's just not, that would really miss the, the heart of who he was and what he was about. The first part of his ministry was to do good to people. And uh, I, as I was sort of preparing, I felt reminded of this uh, occasion, I think I've shared this story before, um, of of a time when I was, I'd been at work all day, 
uh, and we had like a church council meeting or a church leaders meeting of some sort just around the corner from work. So I was going straight there from work. And it had been an okay day, but I'd had this headache through the afternoon. I think Leo, our son, was quite small, so we probably weren't sleeping very well. And I had this meeting, and you know sometimes you have to go to, these things, to, to a meeting or something, and you think, oh, I just don't need this right now. And, I was, uh, and worse, I was late out of work, and I was stuck in traffic on the way there. So I was not having my best moment, and I had this headache. And I was driving there. I could, uh, you know, like I could take you to the spot on Salter's Road where I felt God challenged me. Do you want to stay grumpy, or do you want to ask me to heal you? That was... God used the word grumpy with me. I don't know if he uses the word grumpy with you. Do you want to say grumpy or do you want me to heal you? And, you know, inside there was this thing in me that was like, I'd really like to say grumpy because I've got every right to be grumpy because life's just not fair. But he had me, right? He had me. So I was like, oh, God, I need you to heal me. And my headache went. And I, we went to the meeting, and I'm sure it was a great meeting. I don't remember the specifics. Um, but I do remember that. You know, I could take you to where I was on Salter's Road in Gosford, stuck in traffic, where God spoke to me like that. Now, what God didn't say to me, the Holy Spirit did not turn up in my car and say, Doherty, bail me again. Haven't I told you to be good? Huh? Haven't I told you about being grumpy? Haven't I told you you shouldn't be grumpy? Yeah, well, okay, right. Well, just remember this next time and let this be a lesson to you and no more grumpiness, okay? Good, be good. That's just not how God dealt with me. He did good to me. And I think that changed me in more of a powerful way and made me want to be good more powerfully than if I'd received a lecture on why thou should not be grumpy when stuck in traffic. So let, let me kind of, sh- kind of speak into our perspective on this, what does, that, what does that look like for us you know, day by day? Do I have an expectation? If I get up in the morning, I want to read my Bible and pray. Do I go there reading my Bible, expecting, I'm Jesus, I'm here to meet you so you can tell me how to be good? Or do I go there to read my Bible because I believe Jesus is there and he wants to do good in my life, in my family, in my workplace, in my ministry, with myself, my, my disciples? You know, what's my expectation of that encounter? Am I going there to be told what to do or because I believe that he's good and he wants to do good for my life and my family and my circumstances? It's a challenge when I speak to my disciples, right? I gather my disciples and, uh, or my cell group and I say, what I, what's my intention there? Do I want to get people together so I can tell them, be good? Is that what Clive gets us together for so he can say, guys, be good? Or is he there because he wants us you know, to do good for us. He wants to pray for us, speak good things into our lives, encourage us, motivate us. When we go out to uh, witness to someone, am I saying, be good, be a Christian? Or is my heart, Jesus wants to do good for your life? It's just a really different change of perspective, I think, to, to, read, to read that verse, how it's actually written. Jesus went around doing good second part of the, the vision that I think God wants to reawaken in us this morning is a pattern to follow. So humor me, okay? Look at your neighbor again and say, what time is it now? It's 10.01. Which is confusing, right? Because it either means someone's built a time machine when I wasn't looking, or, or it's just a bit of fun. And yeah, I think it's just a bit of fun. So this is from the clock of Matthew. 
um, chapter 10, verse 1, where Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. You know, what is um, our vision of discipleship? What is my vision of being a disciple? Just want to see what we think about this version. This is the Gospel according to St. Geordie, uh, chapter 10, verse 1 as well. Uh, Clive called his 12 disciples to him. They gave him various excuses about being busy, tired, unable to get to a, a babysitter. That's our one. Uh, and Or we can't travel that far and public transport's not that reliable at that time of evening. The gospel says Jesus called 12 disciples and they came. It's a miracle. <laughs> you know, what is it like? What is our heart and intent towards the kind of discipleship that we have in our lives? Because for me, the starting point is let's show up. <laughs> you know, I want to show up. I remember, um, I rem- so you public can't travel that far. I wish I was joking. I remember. Uh, being here one time, I don't know, a few years ago, and we'd had a student lunch with some of the um, some new students and welcomed some people and offered them lunch afterwards and said, welcome to Newcastle and so on, and shared a little bit about our heart for discipleship through cell groups and so on, and this guy said, oh, well, do you have a, do you have a cell meeting in Jesmond? And we were like, well, no, we've got something going on in um, Fenham at that time, I think, and I think probably most things were in Fenham or town. So, oh, well, I, I'm in Jesmond, it's a bit far otherwise. And uh, I was with a, there was another guy there who, at that point in time, was living in Whitley Bay and coming to, Je- uh, to Fenham for his cell. And I said, I won't embarrass him. Um, some of you know who I'm talking about. And I said, oh, ha- you know, do you travel far for your cell group? Student over here trying to put him on the spot. He goes, oh, yeah, uh, I get a metro. I walk to the metro, get a metro, then I get a bus. Uh, and it's like a 45-minute or an hour round trip. And in the end, the guy moved to Fenham because he wanted to be you know, around the life of the cell and the church that he was about. But can you imagine Jesus on the beach that day and he said to his disciples, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they said, well, don't you have a cell group around here? Don't you have a cell, you know, it's, it's a bit far on public transport to go with you, Jesus. They just would have just missed out on something great and excellent in, in their lives. We had a slide of some Lego men following Jesus, but it was really good. Oh, no, wait, let, look, let me show you this one, because this is really funny. There it goes. Let go of your doubt, Peter. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. There's the spirit of Pastor Clive with, with bad puns is here with us. I found There's just some great stuff, anyway. Um, <laughs> but Jesus called them, he said, follow me, and the disciples didn't say, don't you have a cell group around here? You know, their heart was to be with him and, and to follow him. And I think the other kind of key thing in this is that the, the Bible uses the word disciple, right? It doesn't say Jesus called his 12 random guys to him. It doesn't say Jesus called 12 teachers to him. Jesus called 12 you know, leaders, 12 ministers, 12 assistant pastors, or like whatever you might have kind of wanted to put in there. It says he called 12 disciples and so for me that's like it's just really clear what that means these are 12 people 12 men who were willing to have their lives spoken into a disciple is someone who's in the process of being discipled who's on a discipleship journey who's open to having their life spoken into who's open to having the you know their to being challenged on the wrong stuff being encouraged in the 
in the good stuff. And as Clive described it to us, being willing to be asked the awkward question. That's one of Clive's definitions of discipleship. And the awkward question goes like this, that you, you, know, you have, here's my life, pastor. Speak into any area of my life except for these ones over here. You've got all these eight areas here, but not these two, because I don't want anyone to speak into these two. And the reality is, the areas where you most need to have your life spoken into, where I most need to have my life spoken into, are these two areas over here. Because those are the areas that are going to most move me on in God and do me the most good in, in my future and becoming you know, trained in my character and more like Jesus. Being willing to be asked the awkward question. And uh, Cl- Clive was sharing this story a couple of weeks ago, but I'll repeat it because I just thought it was really remarkable. Uh, of when he was a, a teacher, they had this, this little boy or a boy uh, storm out of the classroom and, in a half. And so they, uh, they had to call the parents in. And they sat down with little Johnny's parents and said, Johnny's being disruptive in class. And actually, most recently, he's just stormed out of the classroom. And the dad said, I'm not standing here to listen to this, and stormed out of the meeting he was having with the head teacher and, the, the, and Clive, who was teaching that class. And Clive was saying, you know, that is the reality in our lives, is that he was, the, the man was unwilling to confront in himself what he was unwilling to confront in his son. He was holding this issue, what, you know, whatever it was, this willingness to be confronted on, on his attitude in life or whatever it might be. He just wouldn't let anyone speak into that. And so he hid from the confrontation or fled from the confrontation. And for me, a disciple is someone who, when in the awkward situation in the room where the head teacher or your pastor says to you, can I ask you about this in your life? You're able to say, I was hoping you wouldn't ask, because that's awkward, but here's how it is with me. Can you help? So that's what, that, for me, that's what it means to be a disciple. I spoke to Clive on Thursday morning, and he asked me an awkward question uh, about some stuff we've been talking about. We have to be willing to be asked the awkward question. That's what it means to be a disciple. And I suppose the other side of this, and it's a whole other message, I'll just touch on it, is a, having a vision to gather 12 as well in the way that Jesus did. Recovering a vision for, for, for gathering 12 around us. We might have to leave that for another, another time. So, so as we close this morning, it's really just these two key things that I want us to uh, pray on together is recovering a vision of a person to follow and recovering a vision of a, a pattern to follow in ministry and in life. So the, the, the first thing really I, I want to do is, is pray. So, um, or, or pray in a particular way. The, the Americans have something in their school system, show and tell, right? Um, and we want to do some show and tell this morning. We, I don't think there's any value in preaching about Jesus doing good if we're not going to stand and pray and believe that Jesus can do good in our lives right now. So uh, I think, why don't we stand and we'll, we'll pray together? Because the first thing I want to do is actually um, pray for the needs that might exist among us. Um, really want to believe that Jesus is here just as able to heal and bring a breakthrough into our lives and situations, just as able to do that as he was then. He's just as much a superhero today as he was 2,000 years ago. So uh, I don't think it needs to be anything 
fancy, but if you are in a place right now where you know you have a physical need for healing in your life, uh, I want you to either lay your hand on that part of the body that needs to, where you need to receive healing from him, or if you don't want to sort of lay your hand on that, then just raise your hand to say, I'm responding to you in this moment, Jesus. Felt reminded of a, a story this morning, actually. Um, it, that's why I don't think it has to be complicated. Uh, this time last year, Karis was training to do the Great North Run and then a, a marathon. She'd been out for a training run. Um, it might have been a Sunday morning, I'm not, not sure, but her knees were really sore. And we were in the garden. Uh, it was about a, like this time last year, really. And uh, she sort of said to Leah, oh, I can't play right now. My knees are sore. And Leah came up and just laid, like, touched her leg and said, Dear Lord Jesus, please make mommy all better. And like instantly she received like maybe 80, 90% of the healing and was able to walk up and down the garden with him. And it was just, we were just blown away. You know, Leo, who, who, he was three and he didn't have so many words, but he could say, dear Lord Jesus, please make mummy all better. And he looked to Jesus and in that moment she was healed. And so now, dear Lord Jesus, I pray that for every need in this place, for every person um, reaching out to you now to receive physical healing. Make us better. Lord Jesus, we're looking to you to heal us. We know that when you were on the earth, you went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. So now, God, be the same today. Minister into our lives and release your healing for every person standing in faith and looking to you, Jesus. Minister that healing right now.